0: The scripture reading this morning is from Romans chapter 15, verse 30, and 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. And then from 1 Timothy, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every day, in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. The grass withers, the flower fades. Father, as we, as we come before you, we are reminded that, that in our Christian walk we are not alone, that we are, are part of something more. and even as we have witnessed um, the entrance into your people of a little child and the departure of dear friends, um, we are reminded that, we are reminded of the joy that it is to be a part. Of your community and the blessing. And Lord, even as we are urged by Paul to pray for one another, to attend to one another, to the needs of one another, to what it looks like to be a community, even as we are urged towards intercession on behalf of one another, we are the heirs of the great intercessor, the one who even now is praying for us. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would intercede now, that we would come to your word as a people in need, in need of having our hearts pricked with the love of our Savior. And so prick our hearts, soften them, that we might enter into your love and the love that you have for us as your body here on earth. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nathaniel. And thank you, Jim, also for your report and um, for what the Lord is doing in the midst of the flock here at Cornerstones. Incredibly encouraging. I've been so encouraged through this series how often you have contacted me or been sharing with others about how the Lord has been at work in you. How he has renewed many of you in your prayer lives that some of you very honestly said were practically non existent. And how the Lord has begun to open up sweet communion between you and him and with one another. And it's been simply a delight for me to, to witness some of that and to revel in it with you and to hear from you about how the Spirit of the Lord has been confirming his presence to you in and through prayer. So as we pursue this topic together today, having talked about the need for personal and private and intimate communion with God, having talked about what it's like to pray unceasingly, we come today to say, Lord, teach us what it means to pray together. What's it mean to pray in community? Now, I remember about four years ago when this really came home to me in quite a practical way. I was going through a really difficult time. There was a kind of darkness, a, a kind of depression that I would say that I was facing, and I didn't really know why. I don't know where it really came from. I know that I was under a lot of stress at that particular time, but I had very, very clear that my eyes had gotten off of the Lord. I was having an extremely difficult time of experiencing His joy, of reveling in His promises, and of being encouraged to keep on keeping on in the steadfastness of faith. Now, I tried all of the things I was used to trying, which was praying on my own, and reading the Bible, even took a little retreat, did a number of things that I thought would shake, as it were, the fog of darkness that was about me, and nothing seemed to work until finally it occurred to me that maybe I should tell someone. Now you would think i would learned this kind of lesson more deeply and more profoundly. It wouldn't take so long for me to have to walk until it gets so bad that I say to someone, hey, listen, I really need your help. I need your help in prayer. I need to pray with and for you. I don't have even the words to know how to speak to the Lord right now. I need to hear someone else pray to the Lord and enter into that prayer, I need to hear my name mentioned before the throne of grace and to experience the intimacy that that calls me into his presence through your priesthood of all believers, this relationship that we share by being able to go into the presence of the Lord through the groanings of the Holy Spirit and to have access through our one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to do that with and for one another. And through the instrumentation of prayer, through friends who cared for me, that fog of darkness lifted. It was clearly of a spiritual nature and as you might imagine, the Lord revealed things in my own soul about my self-sufficiency or pseudo-self-sufficiency or what I had thought was a self-sufficiency. The way that I was bearing certain things as if it was all my responsibility when in fact I was trying to be over-responsible for many things. And realizing that a lot of the burden that had caused me to be sabotaged in my own spiritual life was a burden that God had never asked me to carry in the first place. He'd been wanting me to give it to Him. He'd been wanting me to give it to others that could help me give it to Him. And I had to learn the hard way. And to be honest, I wished I could say four years ago, it was so watershed that I've never struggled again with such an issue. But of course, this is the Lord's house, and we are in His presence, so I better be truthful. (laughs) I struggled day in and day out with this, of simply putting my head down and grunting it out, or pulling off more information off the shelf, or seeking to access some technique to get me through, rather than seeking the throne of grace with another. And so as I preach this message to you, I do so as one, as a learner with you. Not as an expert, as a novice, who knows that the things that he says are true, but whose heart is still very much learning to believe them and practice them. And I'm hoping that in and through this communion that we would share together, that the Lord would begin to do that in your heart and my heart in a more profound way than maybe He ever has before. You know, when I look at the passages about the church in the New Testament, this body of Christ has been described several times this morning. The images that God gives us are images that are always interdependent. He says that we're a temple. Living stones stacked upon one another. He, he says that we are like planted plants in the midst of a field that grow organically from connection. That we're branches and vines intertwined together with Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, he uses that amazing metaphor of the body. And when you begin to see the images that are used in the New Testament about what this is, the gathering of the saints, the life of the, of the saints, the community of faith... It is indicating to us that there is no way for us to remain believers in Christ in a healthy way without accessing the life of one another. It's never intended for you to get this on your own, to do this on your own. And for some of us in this room, as Tony's already discussed in our confession of sin, we are living quite isolated lives. And there's a lot of broken hearts that nobody knows about, and a lot of needs that aren't being brought to the throne of grace by others. And there needs to be widespread intercession with and for one another to see some of those strongholds of sin be broken in some of our lives, to see long wounds that have never been healed. To begin to heal through the prayers of intercession. To see even the powers of darkness that are at war within our culture, whether we know them or not, begin to fall like lightning. It's going to come through corporate, open, undeterred, consistent praying together. I'm convinced of that. And I'm convinced of that from the word of God. And I believe that history speaks to this. Maybe most poignantly just reflecting this week on the, the wonderful brothers John and Charles Wesley. Uh, two men who loved the Lord in the 1700s and while they were studying at the University of Oxford. That's Oxford, England, not Oxford, Mississippi for those of you who would confuse those two places. As they gather, they did so for the purposes of studying God's word They did so as partaking in the communion of the fellowship, speaking honestly with one another, serving alongside, visiting uh, widows and orphans and those in prison, caring for the sick within their community, devotedly following Christ. As they did those things, they were dubbed the Holy Club by those who were mockingly making fun of their commitments. Now this club actually took on the name the Holy Club as a badge and simply said, you know, we are pursuing holiness. That's what we want to see the Lord begin to bring about in our lives and our community in a great way. And we don't think that's a laughing matter. We actually think that we're so weak that we need all of these things to continue to tend us and propel us in the direction that we are to go. Well, Wesley was asked later in his life what the secret ingredient was of the Holy Club, which was gathering there at there in Oxford and what the Lord used to spark great revival and John Wesley very quickly said praying together was the secret ingredient he didn't say just praying or just being together he said praying together he believed was the secret ingredient of what it is that the Lord did to bring about tremendous work in their lives and in the life of that community and looking over the text of Scripture this week, it was so difficult to narrow to Romans 15 and 1 Timothy 2 because as you look over the course of Scripture, you see Paul and Peter and all throughout the Old Testament with the patriarchs interceding with and for one another as the normal fare of following God. And you see the injunction and the instruction throughout to say, without this, you can expect to be anemic. You can expect to be malnourished. In fact, you might be dying on the vine without the important intercessory work of joined-in prayer together. I think the oneness that we share in Jesus Christ is never more beautifully displayed or participated in than when we are committed to pray with and for one another. And I believe also that our calling that we have together in Christ is never more empowered than when we are submitting ourselves together in prayer before Almighty God for His strengthening in the inner man. It's never more beautifully pictured, never more powerfully filled than in the moments where we pray with and for one another. And I tell you that simply by way of evidence to those of you who regularly engage in prayer that is with and for one another because you know what it is that the Lord does in and through it. I, I, to my own shame, have been in meetings with some of you where we have been working on a spiritual issue, maybe in your life or in our local congregation, and we talked for 45 minutes. And at the end of the 45 minutes, we decided to pray, and more work was done in the three and a half to five minutes that we prayed. And in the 45 minutes that we talked... It was like all of the loose ends that we were taking to the Lord in the midst of that prayer somehow through the power of his spirit got tied. And he began to bring resolution to our souls in peace. He began to unburden us in ways that we were working so hard to figure it out. And what he really wanted us to do was to take it to him so that he would solve it. And he would show us a better way. This sort of prayerful dependence is what it is that Paul is pursuing in both of these passages. In Romans chapter 15 as well as in 1 Timothy chapter 2. In Romans 15 it's clear the Apostle Paul is preparing for another stint of ministry. He is about to go to Jerusalem where he has... Taken an offering up for the poor. He's going to go there and he's going to deliver that offering, and he's going to come under attack. He can see that it's going to happen. And so he's pr- asking the believers in Rome pray for me as I go back among the Judean unbelievers who want my head, pray that the Lord will protect me and pray that this offering is received with gratefulness and it meets the tremendous needs that are there among the saints who are poor in Jerusalem. And then he says, I want you to know I'm headed to Spain by God's grace after that. And as I go to Spain to see the gospel spread into a region that is not yet gone, I hope to stop in by you to see you, church at Rome, get to know you even at a deeper level, and to share multiple days of fellowship and encouragement in the faith together. But I know that if you don't pray for me, I don't know that any of these things will happen. And then at the end of his life, he's in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And he is training his young Padawan, his protege in the faith, his Timothy, the son of the faith, who is taking over pastoral ministry, the church at Ephesus. He winds up serving one of the beloved churches of the Apostle Paul. And Paul is writing his swan song. He's at the end of his ministry. He's seen the power of prayer over and over and over through the course of the exercise of ministry. And now he's about to die and go on. He's, He's pressing in towards the finish line. And he is training young Timothy to cultivate and to preach and teach towards and to exercise prayer together within a community that the next generation will live out the same commitment of intercession with and for one another before the face of God. That's what he's doing in 1 Timothy 2. So the reason I love this is that in these two passages we we have Paul in Romans 15. He's on the go. He's ready to accomplish the mission. In 1 Timothy 2, he's nearing the finish line and he's handing off the mission. To the next generation. And in both cases, he's talking about prayer. Prayer with and for one another. Now in these cases, what I want to do in the short few minutes that we have together, I want to note just four marks of dynamic praying together that you see in these two passages. Four marks of what dynamic prayer together really looks like. And I think you see this arise from both Romans 15 and 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's take a look at these passages together. And it's real simple, uh, these four pieces, because I think that these four are practical, but I also think they are theological. They're rich in the way in which Paul is giving them to us. And the first mark, I think, is just really clear. It sits on the surface of the text, right there in 1 Timothy 2 and Romans 15. He begins 1 Timothy 2 this way. First of all, then, I urge... That supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And then, at the beginning of Romans 15, he says, I appeal to you, brothers. Okay? Now, the language of urge and the language of appeal, same language. Paul is saying that if we are going to experience the dynamic of healthy community prayer, we're going to have to feel a desperate sense of the urge of our need for it. It's got to begin there you are got to believe you need this kind of prayer. You're not going to do it unless you believe that you need it. The word could be translated, I'm entreating you. I'm pleading with you. We could go so far as to say, Paul is begging them. Would you please engage in ministry with me through prayer? Timothy, I urge you, don't stop at any sort of prayer petitioning for all kinds of people. This is something where eternity hangs in the balance. Paul feels that when he comes to this issue of prayer. It's not an overstatement. That's not a preacher hyperbole. He says this is urging of you, appealing to you because of the magnitude of what it is that we are up against that souls, as I go back to Jerusalem and to Judea and look to Spain and pass through Rome, souls hang in the balance as I go to share the gospel. And without your prayers, I'm afraid of what it is that might happen. He gives us the sense, he gives us the sense that the success of this mission rests on the prayers of these people. He feels that in a really strong way. Now, for those of you who are really reformed in here, you have a couple of bells going off. You know, God is in control of this mission, right? The success of this mission is up to Him. It's not up to the prayers of His people. And you're exactly right. And it just so happens that that same God loves to use means. And His chief and primary agency to the answering of those means is you and, more specifically, your prayers for the accomplishing of his mission. Those are not at war with each other. Those are not at war with each other. God loves to decree the primary cause of the accomplishment of his mission, his own power, and secondarily use you for the accomplishing of that primary cause. That's how he works. So we can say, quite honestly, things don't happen if we don't pray. Certain successes might not come if we don't pray. Because why? God has yoked, the completion of his mission to the work of prayer that he's calling you to now that begins to flood prayer with all kinds of meaning all kinds of purpose and urging and an and a begging begins to happen here because he sees how critical it is now listen this is just following along directly with what it is that the lord jesus christ both said in principle and in practice how often was the Lord Jesus pulling aside Peter, James and John and taking them off to some lonely place in order to pray? And let me ask you this: Is there anyone who it would seem to you who could, who could get along on his own without praying with others than Jesus? And yet he persisted in praying. It was this normal pattern. I love it. I was looking them all up this week. I was just astonished. Luke 19, it says, and Jesus was praying alone and his disciples were with him, which could be taken a couple of ways. Probably in the way that I took Luke 19 was that Jesus was praying alone and his disciples were doing what they were normally doing when Jesus was praying, probably sleeping, probably twiddling their thumbs, probably doing something that they probably should be doing something else. But here's the thing. He'd probably drawn them close to him. But he ultimately ended up praying alone. But it was this consistent call and practice of the Lord Jesus Christ to draw his disciples together. In fact, wasn't it his very final hours in the Garden of Gethsemane where he focuses in on prayer and communion with the Lord, and was, did he not ask his disciples to pray for him as he goes into the final stint of his mission, and it was exactly that. And He took along three others, his closest friends, to continue to pray with him, and he actually said this, I ask you to do this so that you might not enter into temptation. You see, Jesus knew that prayer had the capacity to prepare them to be ready to face the challenges that they were about to face as he is going to be taken away by Roman soldiers and then nailed to a cross. And what do we see with those disciples? They were not ready when the temptations came. Every single one of them abandoned the Lord Jesus in his moment of hour. Jesus knew these temptations were going to come. And he said prayerful together before the face of Almighty God is a preparation for the trials and the temptations that are going to come our way. I hope that you're seeing with Christ, I hope that you're seeing with the Apostle Paul, a kind of dependence on prayer because of the urgency of the mission that we've been invited into and the urgency of the work that God has called us to. I mean, right now in this room, there are some of us who are struggling with sin to the degree that it is having such sway on our lives that the wheels are falling off. There are relationship divisions that go generations back in your family and it's a Gordian knot and you're never going to figure it out unless the Spirit comes in through the power of prayer and cuts it right down the middle. There are things going on in all of our existence that we are working so hard on and we're not praying with anybody about them. And the Bible says that this is one of the primary means that God uses to cut through it all. He superintends his work, the power of the Spirit, in the practice and the devotion of prayer. Gospel urgency. So the question that's really being raised, is this the way you want to pray? Is this the desire that's of your heart? Do you see the future of our town, the future of our nation? Do you see the future of the souls of the next generation hanging, as it were, waiting for the petitions of prayer that come forth from this one? And do you joyfully walk into that work with a sense of urgency? Secondly, praying together is founded on and fueled by gospel unity. It's, it's praying together is founded on and fueled by gospel unity. In both of these passages, listen, Paul calls us to stir up our sense of unity and love that we share together in the Lord Jesus Christ and by his Spirit. In Romans 15, it's explicit. In 1 Timothy 2, it's more implied. He says there, I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Spirit. (laughs) He says, I appeal to you on this ground, on this foundation, by the Lord Jesus Christ and the love in the Spirit. Now, what he's doing there is the Apostle Paul saying, I want you to remember what Christ has done and the affections that the Spirit has placed in your heart both for Christ and one another as the foundation for your intercessions for my mission. Now, Paul is recognizing something really basic. You know what he's saying? He's saying it's a lot easier to pray for people when you love them. You probably have found this out. It's a lot more difficult to pray for people you don't like very much. Now, it's really important to pray for people you don't like very much. It's critically important. In fact... If we came with the same injunction, I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and love of the Spirit, and you've got angst with another member in this congregation, and you've been nursing a little bit of a resentment against them, I guarantee you, if you begin praying for them by the Lord Jesus Christ in love of the Spirit, it's going to be really hard to hold on to that. It's really frustrating though, right? Because you want to hold on to that. I mean, you know, they were mean to you. They did something wrong. You want to hold on to the anger. But what Paul is actually saying here is as you stir up love in the spirit and the call of Christ and who he is and what he's done, as a means by which you pray, it begins to melt all of that. He says, that's what I want you to be focused on as you pray. Now, what happens when you begin to pray with and for one another with that sense of love? Not only is the love the foundation, but the love becomes the fuel. Because it begins to forge a greater unity. How many times have you prayed with someone and you've taken your heart together to the Lord with them and they've taken their heart to the Lord and you've shared in that? You've returned the favor in the work of prayer and together you got up from that prayer and you love them more than you had loved them going into it. It's happened, hasn't it? What's happened to me? I can't tell you how many times. can't tell you how many times where I'm loving this person but as we enter into the prayer I get up and I think I am just so grateful so grateful now I see this through now the lens of Christ he's met us in this moment he's forged a unity that's of spiritual proportions in the gospel it's beautiful Paul says this is the kind of unity that I want to see rise up in your prayers as you're interceding for one another, you see this actually, in many ways, praying in this way begins to forge a community that really sees itself as going to the Lord, to the Lord as one. that we're standing in this together, this gospel unity. So this feeling of gospel urgency, that the prayers is how the Lord works, His will in so many ways in our life and in the culture and in the kingdom. And it is through this love in the Spirit, through the accomplishment of Christ, it leads to the third place, is that as we pray, the Lord forges ministry partnerships. He forges ministry partnerships. There's a gospel partnership that you see in both of these passages. The Apostle Paul is not simply saying, listen, I want some prayer as I go. The Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Rome, listen, you're with me when I go. If you're praying for me. You're on the front lines there with me when I go. You are a co-laborer together as we set our sights towards the kingdom. The men ministry here at Cornerstone was talking about this service project coming up the end of this month. And as we were talking about it, we said one of the things that we experienced as men is the unity and the joy of sharing together in a project When we looked over the course of our lives, there was many times the men whom we drew the closest to, we were working on something together. And the conversations that happened as we focused upon a mission or a project began to foster a closeness and an intimacy that many of us could could really clearly see in our past that the Lord had used that kind of work to actually partner us together as co-laborers. Well, we see that when we work in the kingdom. When we begin working alongside each other, I begin taking your heart and your needs to the Lord. You begin taking my heart and my needs to the Lord. We meet together and we share in that and we check in on it. We are working together towards the work of the kingdom. And as we do that, a ministry partnership, not just a gospel unity in the love of God and the Spirit, a ministry partnership begins to be formed. Now the reason I call it that is that's exactly the language Paul uses in Philippians, I was struck this week in rereading the book of Philippians, particularly the very first part of the book of Philippians. I want you to see how Paul writes to them in his prayers for them. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I want to pause right there. Most of whom Paul is writing to here in Philippi never went on a mission trip with Paul. I mean, these are not people who journeyed with him. These are not people who went out evangelizing with him. These are people in the local congregation of Philippi who'd been praying for him. And he said, listen, you have been gospel partners from the very beginning of my work, and you continue in this. I see you as on the front lines with me. I want you to see how richly he says it just a verse later. It is right for me to feel this way, because I hold you in my heart. And look at what he says. You are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment. Wait, we were partakers with the grace that he received in his imprisonment? Well, I wasn't in prison with Paul. I think I would have remembered that. I think that would stick out if I was in chains in a Roman prison with the Apostle Paul. He goes, that's not what I mean. You prayed for me when I was there. You were partakers of the grace that was given to me. In that imprisonment, you entered into the reality of it as a ministry partner with me. And then he continues, in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. You hear what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, when I went and I spoke the gospel, it was carried along underneath by the power of your intercessory prayer through the work of the Spirit. That's what he's saying. Those weren't just my words. Those were the collective prayers being answered and God's Spirit coming in proportion to my needs, It's exactly what actually Jesus promised would happen to the disciples when they are before rulers and before kings, not to fret too much about what it is that they are going to say, but that in the moment the Spirit of the Lord would grant to them the words. And there are multitudes of stories and examples of how the Lord actually did that very work in the early church as they faced suffering and persecution. And Paul's saying that's what's happening here. It reminds me really of Oswald Chambers at this moment a man who was a committed prayer warrior and a man who wrote in one of the opening lines of his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, he says this, My prayer or our prayers don't fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. We tend to think of this prayer thing as just this getting us ready to do the real thing. And Paul is saying No, it was the real thing. This is where the, the powers of darkness are restrained. This is where the light of the kingdom is flooded. This is where the advance of my work in the world happens when you're on your knees interceding for the advance of the kingdom in the world. That's really incredibly amazing what it is that he's arguing in terms of the power of what prayer is. Now, here's what that means. If we actually... If we actually believe what Oswald Chambers just said, if we believe what Paul is advancing here and what we see patterned throughout his life, then then our brother Jim Payne will have no trouble finding enough people to be on the prayer table. But I, I guarantee you, I know the pattern, friends. I know the pattern. If there's food, we come. If there's training that we think we need, we're there. If it's prayer, nobody shows up. You know it like me. You know it like me. We don't believe in the power of this. We really don't believe in the power of this. And the the realization is we don't experience the power of this. It's not yet captured us. And what we're seeing here in this is if, if you begin to sense the urgency, you begin to stir up the unity, you begin to pray and experience the partnership, what begins to happen is where he, where he goes finally is in this collective prayer, there begins to be a cry for fruitfulness. A cry for fruitfulness. And you begin to actually witness that fruitfulness. You begin to actually see it take place. You see, in both of these passages in different ways, Paul is inviting us Together to seek God's face for the growth of his mission. The kind of growth that can only come through the, his power. Though we didn't read this section in Romans 15, I've already noted it. Paul is in the midst of a missionary mission. And he realizes that his, the dream of seeing souls saved in Spain would likely not happen without a flood of this petitionary intercessory prayer. From the people. And he's beginning to say here, even to the church that Timothy is going to pastor. Timothy, I want you to know if you want a context in where you live a quiet and peaceful, godly and dignified life, where you are not always under the gun of persecution and suffering, then you need to be on your knees continually petitioning the Lord together for the needs of all people. Of all people. He said, that's where that begins to come. You want to be on your knees for all people. And the all there is a very technical term. means all. Every single one of them. Like, so the people you don't like, the people you like. The people you'd rather see gone. The people you'd rather draw closer to. All of them. The people that, that you feel like are the obstacles to the advance of your life. The people who you feel like are deleterious to our community's health. All of these people are to be interceded for. That's what he's saying. Every single one of them. If you want to see my kingdom have a powerful impact in bringing peace, quiet, and freedom, and joy, the kind of thing which God himself, he says, has pleasure in, a sense of the kingdom, then it's going to come through these supplications, these prayers, these petitions, and these thanksgivings. That's where it's going to come. Now, I think the the thing to note here is he especially says, listen, I want you to be lifting up kings. I want you to be lifting up those in high, high positions. I want you to be looking at those who have the level of influence where I've placed them. I place kings. I place presidents. I place House of Representatives and Senators. I place everybody in any sense of power that they're in. And I hold their heart in my hand. I can turn it like a stream in whatever direction I want to go. And the way that my hand gets turned is through your prayers together. Seek me for it. That's what he's saying. That's how I work. So he's saying, listen, if you, you know... You're going to do all kinds of great things. Have you noticed something? This is an election year. Have you, have you noticed that? You know. No, Nate, my head has been in the sand. No, I have noticed that. And you have your favorite, whoever they are. And and some of us have talked about, you know, you know, lesser evils. Okay, when we think about candidates. And many of us. Many of us have complained. Many of us have expressed vitriol. Many of us, many of us will work actively for a candidate. How many of us will pray? Really? We talk about it. We talk about the importance of it. But are we doing that? Are we, are we really praying? Like is, it, is it, if we knew the content of your prayer life, would we find that? Would it be there? Or have we relied upon other mechanisms as more powerful in our mind's eye to accomplish the kingdom that we want to bring? That's the question that I think Paul is actually appealing to. Do you, do you have Franklin and Nashville and the United States and the globe in mind as are praying? Do you want to see the kingdom of God come in that manner? When you begin to see all people, when you begin to think of those groups of people, those parties of people, those types of people, are, are, they, are they in your prayers? it's the work that we're actually being called to here is to be able to say look I've not promised to use signs in your front yard I have promised to use prayer now are signs in the front yard Nate's saying don't put a sign in your front yard Nate's not saying that Nate's not saying that I'm just saying God didn't promise anything with that and last I checked He's in control of everything. I'd like to pay attention to what he says makes an impact on our world. Let's consider this plan A. How about it? That this is what he wants us to do. And it just for us, let's let's deal with it in brass tacks. It feels like we're not doing anything. You know, you're sitting and you're speaking in the thin air. We just don't have much faith in it. There's just not much trust in it. You know, that's one of the weird things about spiritual practices is they look really weak and foolish. Kind of like the cross. I mean, come on, a few of us gather and pray for things like, what is that going to do? Let's pray and then go do something. Prayer is greater work. This is how he turns hearts and nations. This is the work that he does. So in every single area of our life, what what if we were making these things known? What if we were bringing these before the Lord? What would it look like? What kind of changes could we anticipate could happen? Well, I think if you're like me at this moment, I... I want to just call a timeout, cancel everything, pray all the time, gather with you, and I hope that the Lord's going to put that on your heart. I hope that before you walk out those back door and forget everything that was said, because your stomach is hungry, that you will maybe before you leave this room tap one person on the shoulder and say, I need prayer. This is what's going on in my life. I'd just like you to know. Can you, can you just stop right now and pray for me? You know what would be incredibly encouraging is at the minute the benediction is done that we just turn to each other and we just for a moment whisper one thing and just pray for it before we leave. That's not a command. Don't feel guilty if you don't do it. It's me preaching in this moment thinking of things. But boy, it sounds like a good plan. It sounds like it's akin to God's heart. There's something heavy on you. There's something you need. There's some way in which the kingdom you're praying would come in. Is it a strained child? Is it a falling apart marriage? Is it an alcohol addiction? Is it is it just not knowing how to make the right decision about a job? What what is it? I don't know what it is. All I know is you need each other in this. And God will meet you. It's how He works. And here's what's amazing. I mean, here is what is utterly amazing. If you don't do that and you're in Christ, even in your prayerlessness, Jesus stands and prays for you. It's unbelievable that right now in the hiddenness of the brokenness of your heart, the Spirit intercedes with groanings for those who really know Christ. And he opens up a passport into that Father's ear and he prays in such a way that aligns you with his work. And over time, as he does that work, he will compel you to never stop praying and to live with this kind of urgency, but to be stirred up in this kind of unity, to be co-laboring in this kind of partnership, to cry and to pursue with all that is within us by his might for the fruitfulness of his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're after together. And it will happen. That's the beauty of what we know when we pray according to his will. It's not an if, it's a win. It's a win. So we should probably get in with the program. He'll do it. With us or without us. Or in his normal way. Over time, making us to be with him conforming us into His image, turning prayerlessness into prayer, turning liars into truth-tellers, turning those who are stingy into givers. This is the work of the kingdom. And in any way that it needs to break into your life and in our life together as a community, that's what we're praying for. That's what we want. So I hope today that you will not let, as you have done and I have done, so many sermons, I mean I preach them and I forget them, I I have a lot of, like, I'm, like, very sympathetic for you. I'm in this text all week. You understand that? I I know that's why. I'm serious. I I look at this. I think this is why the Lord's called me to preach. He knows that I would never get any of this if I was not a preacher. This is why we need each other. We really, really need each other in this work. Let's pray you will do it. Father in heaven, please come and... In your patience, would you meet with us? Oh, please meet with us. But please please don't let the ravings of this madman appear. S- stand in the way of what your spirit wants to do. Lord, insofar as my speaking today has been in accord with you, please make it memorable, transformative, insofar as it has been simply the flesh of a man. Expunge it from the record of our memories. Father, I pray the core of what it is that we are asking of you is to give us such urgency, such unity, such partnership, such fruitfulness that it would would not even be a question as to whether we're going to pray together or not. And so, Lord, I ask you, give us the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.